Elder Neil A. Maxwell of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles has just spoken to us. President Benson has indicated that I should be your next speaker. I never come to the priesthood session of General Conference, but what I don't think of those dynamic leaders who have stood at this pulpit before and who, with the eloquence of their voices, the depths of their hearts in expression, and from the warmth of their souls, guided us, taught us, instructed us, and helped us along the way to eternal life. As I think of those leaders, instinctively I think of President J. Reuben Clark. I think I have not attended a general priesthood meeting when President Clark was speaking, but what he didn't plead for unity in the priesthood of God. Quoting the words of Jesus, he would inevitably say, Be one, and if ye are not one, ye are not mine. It was my opportunity to know President Clark rather well. I was his printer, and I had the privilege to visit with him on numerous occasions and to see a side of him which he rarely reflected, a keen sense of humor. I was sitting in his office one day, going over a manuscript, when the buzzer sounded, and he said, Oh-oh, there's President McKay calling another meeting. And he got up to leave. And I was just making conversation, and I said, President Clark, I suppose you have many meetings every day, and they're all important. He turned around and with a little impish smile on his face and a wink in his eye said, I wouldn't be too sure about that last statement, and went to the meeting that he'd been summoned to attend. On one occasion, I was taking some press proofs to his home late one evening. He lived at 80 D Street here in Salt Lake City. His lovely daughter, Louise, welcomed me and took me up to the library where he sat behind that huge desk, which was just piled high with books and papers. He said, Come in, Brother Monson, and sit down. Listen to this. He was reading from the Old Testament, the book of Ecclesiastes or the Preacher, and he said these words, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. He then paused and exclaimed, A treasured truth, a profound philosophy. My dear brethren, I love and I cherish that word duty. It was General Robert E. Lee of American Civil War fame who said that duty is the most glorious word in the English language. A man cannot do more, he would not wish to do less. And from that same hour of history, Abraham Lincoln, as he said goodbye to the people of Springfield and prepared to go to Washington to assume the duties as president, said to the congregation, Let us have the faith that right makes might, and in that faith to the end, let us do our duty and dare to do our duty as we understand it. 
I think of the words of Winston Churchill at the time that all of Europe was weary from World War II and the peace, the armistice, had been declared. He said, we paused and gave thanks to God for the noblest of all his blessings, the sense that we had done our duty. Like a clarion call, our captain, the Lord Jesus Christ, speaks to every one of us who holds the priesthood of God. The words thunder in my ears, Wherefore now let every man learn his duty and act in the office in which he has been appointed in all diligence. Time marches on, but duty keeps cadence with that march. Duty never dims, it never diminishes. The call of duty came to Adam. It came to Noah. It came to Abraham, to Moses, to Samuel, to David. The call of duty came to Joseph Smith. It came to each of the presidents of the Church. And now the call of duty has come to President Ezra Taft Benson. The call of duty comes sometimes to young men early in their lives, like it came to Nephi of old. May I share with you that account? I think it is one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture. In the third chapter of First Nephi, And it came to pass that I, Nephi, returned from speaking with the Lord to the tent of my father. And it came to pass that he spake unto me, saying, Behold, I have dreamed a dream, in thee which the Lord hath commanded me, that thou and thy brethren shall return to Jerusalem. For behold, Laban hath the record of the Jews, and also a genealogy of my forefathers, and they are engraven upon plates of brass. Wherefore the Lord hath commanded me that thou and thy brothers should go unto the house of Laban and seek the records and bring them down hither into the wilderness. And now, behold, thy brothers murmur, saying, It is a hard thing which I have required of them. But behold, I have not required it of them, but it is a commandment of the Lord. Therefore, go, my son, and thou shalt be favored of the Lord, because thou hast not murmured. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, said unto my father, I will go and do the things which the Lord hath commanded. For I know that the Lord giveth no commandments unto the children of men, save he shall prepare a way for them, that they may accomplish the thing which he commandeth them. Brethren, when the calls of the priesthood come to you and to me, perhaps to be a ward clerk, maybe the advisor to a teacher's quorum, maybe the instructor of an elders' quorum, a home teacher. I hope that we would not be among those who murmur and say this is a hard thing we've been commanded to do. Rather, I would hope that we would be like Nephi. I will go, I will do, and the Lord will bless us. Someone once said that the wisdom of God 
oft-times appears as foolishness to man. But the greatest single lesson we can learn in mortality is that when God speaks and a man obeys, that man will always be right. John Taylor, president of the Church, put us on notice. He said, if we fail to magnify our callings, God will hold us accountable for those whom we might have saved had we done our duty. The call of duty came to John E. Page in the days of the Prophet Joseph Smith. Brother Joseph came to him and said, I'm calling you on a mission to Canada. John E. Page, I suppose, did the equivalent thing of murmuring. He said, "Uh, Brother Joseph, I can't go on a mission to Canada. I don't even have a coat to wear. Now, that's a pretty good excuse for not going to Canada. But then the Prophet Joseph, unruffled, turned to him, took off his own coat, handed it to John E. Page, and said, Here, take this, and the Lord will bless you. John E. Page went on that mission to eastern Canada. He served for two years. He walked almost 5,000 miles during that time and baptized 600 people. He went and he served. One has said, Until willingness overflows obligation, men fight as conscripts rather than following the flag as patriots. Duty is never worthily performed until it is performed by one who would gladly do more if only he could. I slept and dreamt that life was joy. I awoke and found that life was duty. I served, and lo, duty was joy. This will be our opportunity. The call of duty, said President George Albert Smith, comes from our Heavenly Father. This patient, this quiet, this modest president of the Church. He said, Brethren, to do your duty, first find out what the Lord wants, and then, with the power and the strength of your holy priesthood, so magnify your callings among your brethren that others will be pleased to follow you. We've heard that expression, magnify your calling. Have you ever wondered what it meant? When we magnify a calling, we build it up in dignity and importance so that the light of heaven may shine through our performance to the gaze of other men. An elder magnifies his calling as an elder when he learns what his duties are and then when he performs them. As with an elder, so with a deacon, a teacher, a priest, and every office in the priesthood. Learn our duty and act in our appointed office. The call of duty came to me to serve as a young bishop back in 1950. I studied diligently the scriptures. I particularly liked reading the Apostle Paul's epistle to Timothy. 
on what the requirements of a bishop were. I even read the general handbook. It was smaller then than it is now. But I think I gained the greatest help from one of the general authorities who came to a priesthood leadership meeting, stepped to a chalkboard, and outlined the duties of a bishop. I would hope, brethren, that as leaders we would step to chalkboards and outline the duties of deacons and teachers and priests and all who hold the priesthood, the scriptures being our guide. In that outline, the first call was that the bishop is the presiding high priest and the father of the ward. Second, he is the president of the Aaronic priesthood. Third, he is responsible to care for the poor and the needy. Fourth, he is the one who receives the tithing and is responsible for the funds and likewise the records of the ward. And fifth, he is the common judge in Israel. Those outlined duties are understood. But I received a letter from church headquarters back at that time which was a little more challenging to me. The Korean War had just burst forth, and a letter to all bishops said, Each bishop is to supply each serviceman in his ward with a subscription paid in advance to the Improvement Era, to the Church News, and write a personal letter to each serviceman every month. I thought to myself, do the brethren know that I have 23 servicemen in this ward of 1,080 members? A letter every month? Do they know we have no money? Fortunately, I trusted in the Lord. The money came from the high priests in the 70s. The subscriptions were arranged. But writing that personal letter to 23 servicemen every month did not really become a drudgery. It became a joy and a blessing for me. I still have some of the copies of those letters and the responses which came from them. I still get a little teary-eyed when I read of a soldier's pledge to do his duty, a sailor's determination to keep faith with his family. One night, as I had completed writing the 23 letters, I handed them to the young lady who would affix the postage stamps and handle the maintenance of the addresses. She turned to me as she looked at one envelope and said, Bishop, don't you ever get discouraged? I said, No, I don't. Why? She said, Here is another letter to Thaddeus Bryson, Jr. This is the 17th consecutive monthly letter that you've sent to him without a reply. I said, Well, Send it along. Maybe it will work. And it did. I received a reply to that letter. I have it here with me tonight, dated December 25, 1953. It was postmarked APO San Francisco. He was serving on a remote island in the Pacific, Christmas, homesick, missing family and friends. He had been among the less active when he went in the service. But he began his letter this way, Dear Bishop, I ain't much at writing letters. I could have told him that 17 months sooner. <laughs> but he went on to say that he appreciated the magazines, the newspaper, 
but he had been ordained a priest by his serviceman's coordinator. And then he said, most of all, I appreciate your letters. I thought of the couplet, do your duty, that is best, leave unto the Lord the rest. Years later, I was attending a conference at the Cottonwood Stake in Salt Lake City when Elder James Faust was presiding there. The theme was taking care of our servicemen. The Vietnam War was in full bloom. I spoke of this experience, and after the meeting, a young man came forward and said, Bishop, do you remember me? I said, My goodness, Brother Bryson, how are you? I'm fine, he said. I'm in the elders' corps and presidency of my ward. And by the way, Bishop, thank you, thank you, thank you for the letters. I thought of the poem, Father, where shall I work today? And my love flowed warm and free. And then he pointed out a little spot and said, Here, tend that for me. Oh, no, not that. Why, no one would ever see. Not that little spot for me. The word he spoke, it was not stern. He answered me tenderly, Ah, little one, search that heart of thine. Art thou working for them or for me? Nazareth was a little place, and so was Galilee. Brethren, as we perform our duty, as we walk hopefully in the footsteps of Jesus of Nazareth, I would plead that we would listen for the sound of sandaled feet, that we would reach out for the carpenter's hand, that we might know him. He may come to us as one unknown. As of old, by the lakeside, he came to those men who knew him not. He speaks the same words, Follow thou me, and sets us to the tasks, even the duties, which he has for us to perform in our time. He commands, and to those who obey, whether they be wise or simple, he shall reveal himself in the struggles and the trials and the sufferings which they shall pass through in his fellowship. And in their own experience, they shall come to know him. When the call of duty came to our elder brother, Jesus Christ the Lord, he answered, Father, thy will be done, and the glory be thine forever. With all my heart tonight, I would ask that the priesthood of this Church follow the example of our Lord. Father, thy will be done, and thine be the glory forever. That we might do so would be my earnest plea, my humble prayer, and I ask it in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, our Lord and Savior. Amen.